Well, good morning. Let me invite you to go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy in the New Testament. And it's kind of an exciting day for me. We're going to kick off a brand new study through this New Testament book of 1 Timothy. So go ahead and find your place there. Chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, we're going to be, over the next, I don't know, 10, 12 weeks, something like that as a church, walking verse by verse through this letter called 1 Timothy. Now, if maybe you're new to this thing called Christianity, or maybe you're newer to our church, or uh, what have you, but what we're going to be doing is we're going to be walking through a letter from one man to another that was written on a continent thousands of miles away and written 2,000 years ago. Now, if you think about it for a minute, that's a little bit odd, don't you think? I mean, they we're going to be reading somebody else's mail, so to speak, that happened so many years ago between two people that we've never officially met, and we're going to be devoting weeks and weeks and weeks of study. That's a little bit odd, unless what the Bible says about itself and what we know to be true is the reality that when we open this book, we're not just reading the words of men, we are reading the very Word of God. So as a church, we believe we're going to pour our time and our effort and our energy into breaking apart this book of 1 Timothy, not because it's a letter from one man to another, that's important to know that, but because we believe it's the very Word of God to us. And if that's true, then we're going to claim God's promise, and we're going to take God at His promise. He says, and you don't have to look this up, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, very familiar passage. Just want to remind you what the Bible says about itself. Go ahead and put that passage up there. 2 Timothy says, All Scripture is inspired by God. Genesis through Revelation. We've got 66 books of the Word of God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. So that the man or the woman of God may be adequate. That is mature, equipped equipped, ready for every good work. So we're going to take God at His promise, at His word. We believe it is profitable. It is good for you and for us as a church to hold out God's word and to teach God's word and to study God's word. Now, we're going to pursue that in some different ways over the next few weeks. Uh, Each of you, um, you should have, I'm trying to find my little reading guide here. Oh, here it is. Uh, We produced this little reading guide for you. So for your personal study, you can be reading through 1 Timothy along with your church family. Also, as you go to your life groups, you'll be able to come in and say, what's God teaching you? Man, as you're studying through 1 Timothy together in your life group, you'll be able to talk around God's Word together and get God's Word into our hearts and our lives. We believe it's transformational. We believe the Word of God is transformational in our lives. So we're going to go verse by verse through this great book over the next few weeks. So, 1 Timothy chapter 1, we're only going to cover two verses this morning. It's a means of introduction. We're going to be brief. I know our time's a little bit different. Don't worry, I'm not going to be preaching 45 or 50 minutes this morning. I'm not going to preach over 43 minutes, I promise. Anyway, just kidding. It's going to be brief. Sit to the introduction so you understand a little bit about this great book that we're getting ready to study and walk through together. 1 Timothy 1, I'm going to read two verses. Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. I love that. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, 
mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this morning, here's my aim and my goal. I'm going to answer four questions about this book so that you know what you're getting into as you read it on your own, so you know where we're headed over the next few weeks. Who wrote this book? It's important. Who was the, who was the letter written to? We'll talk about that for a few minutes. Why was it written at all? What was the purpose behind the letter? You'll read through some things, and if you don't understand why Paul, who wrote it, why he was writing, it's not going to make a lot of sense to you. So why was it written? And then finally we'll ask this question, why does it matter? That matters because it's the Word of God, but it also matters very practically for us here today as a local New Testament church. I'm going to give you a couple things that it matters vitally to us And that's why we're studying and walking through 1 Timothy together. So, four questions. Here we go. Number one, who wrote this letter? Verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And very quickly, in those days, letters were a very common way of correspondence. But they wrote the letters a little bit different than we might write them today. They begin with who was writing it. So he identifies himself as Paul, the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, the great missionary of the church. Paul, the great persecutor of the church. If you're not familiar with the Apostle Paul and his background, we'll cover more as we walk through the letter. Acts chapter 9, read that this week to be reminded. Paul, who's writing this letter, was a terrorist. (laughs) He was out to destroy Christians and destroy the church at one time until Jesus invaded his life, knocked him literally off his horse, opened his eyes, and he became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the man who wrote this goes from persecutor of the church to apostle of the church. He says there, I'm writing in accordance with the commandment of God our Savior. There's a whole lot to that. We'll study that even more as we go. But Paul says, I'm acting under the command of one in authority. The word commandment here literally means an executive Binding order, as if to say, Paul is saying, I'm writing under the authority of God himself. Paul says, what I do is under the authority of God himself. What what I'm writing is under the authority of God himself. So for us, we know that when we read this book, and when you're studying this letter, it's not just a correspondence between two men. It's a man writing under the very inspiration of God himself, the word of God to us. Paul is the human author of this letter. Now, secondly, who received the letter? I'm going to be honest, this is one of my favorite parts of this whole message and just a a very uh, heart-gripping thing for me to read about the person that Paul is writing to. And you'll see that come out in the letter. Even in verse 2, Paul didn't waste any time. He says, I'm writing to Timothy. And then he describes Timothy this way. He says, Timothy is my true child in the faith. Now stop right there for a second. The reason that's important from the very beginning, I want you to know that Paul is not writing a a correspondence to somebody he didn't know very well just to talk about how to, to do church stuff. Paul's writing to perhaps the most important other human in his life. We're going to look at how God brought Paul and Timothy together and aligned their paths. And it's a beautiful picture of discipleship. And it's a beautiful picture of one man investing his life into a younger disciple in the faith. So he says, Timothy, he's my true son or my true child in the faith. Man, Paul loves Timothy. 
So as you read this letter, you're going to hear just dripping affection. First Timothy, and then Second Timothy was written many years after that. But Second Timothy in particular is just so affectionate from Paul and his great love for his young son in the faith. Now, let me take just a couple of minutes here to give you some background to how Paul and Timothy ever met one another. It's very important because Paul makes reference to a lot of stuff in this letter that's not going to make any sense to you. So let's go back a couple, about 20 years from when Paul writes this letter. He's known Timothy about 20 years when he writes this letter. But you can go all the way back to Acts 14. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to give you a quick synopsis of it. Acts 14, you want to study that this week? That's great. Paul's on his first missionary journey. He's sent out from the city of Antioch, which is there in the Mediterranean. He goes through modern-day Turkey. He's going city to city to city. He and Barnabas, and they are speaking the gospel, the message of Christ. Crucified, resurrected, life-giving, saving faith in Christ. Paul's seeing churches planted, disciples made, the activity of God, the Spirit of God is empowering his work. So he and Barnabas are traveling through these towns. He leaves one town called Iconium, and he goes to another little town. It's not very big. It's this little bitty town in what is modern-day Turkey called Lystra. So when Paul and Barnabas arrive in Lystra, here's what happens. This is very important. So they get to Lystra and they just begin to teach and preach and share Jesus with the town of Lystra. Again, a very small town, like the size of, I don't know, Gray or smaller than even Gray. Not the metropolis of Kingsport, not that big. Small little town. So everybody knew everybody and everybody knew what was going on. When he got to the town, they encountered a man that had been paralyzed from birth. Acts 14 says that Paul began to teach, Paul began to preach. He goes to this man and he basically says, I'm paraphrasing, get up and walk. And this man who had been paralyzed from birth stands up and begins to run through the city. Well, a miracle had happened. And everybody in the city hears about it. And they come out to hear these guys, Paul and Barnabas. And they said, you guys must be, watch this, gods. Little G-O-D-S. And they begin to try to give worship to Paul and Barnabas for what they'd been saying and what they'd been doing. And Paul and Barnabas, you can imagine, say, Oh, time out, guys. We're not gods. We're here to bring you the message of the one true God. And we're here to bring you the message of the one true Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one of Israel, if you will. So there's Jews in that town who are not believing Jews, and they hear the message about Jesus. Well, they get upset with Paul and Barnabas. And they had followed Paul and Barnabas all the way from Antioch to Iconium. And now they're following him into Lystra. And man, they hate Paul and Barnabas because they hate the message of Jesus. So in Acts 14, they take Paul and they're so mad at Paul, they pick up stones and they begin to stone him. Now when you read about stoning in your Bible, they're not throwing little pellets. I mean, they're throwing big old boulders at this guy. They're ready to kill him. And the Bible says they stoned Paul, and Acts 14 says that they drugged Paul. The Jews came from Antioch, they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul, and they dragged him outside the city, verse 19, supposing him to be dead. They wanted to kill Paul. Now, some scholars believe that Paul really died there. That they literally killed Paul. And the vision he has in 2 Corinthians about the third heaven and all that happened there. We don't know that for sure. At the minimum, man, they thought he was dead. And then the Bible says, but while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. What? 
So Paul comes to, he either comes back to life by the power of God, or he revives, and he goes to the courthouse to file a lawsuit against the people that did that, right? Claiming his religious rights. Nope. It's <laughs> not what he did. You know what he did? He gets up, and he goes back in the city, and he keeps pre- preaching Jesus. Now, I tell you all that because in this little small town, word gets out about what's going on, And a young teenager, probably about 14, 15, 16, comes out to see all that was going on. And this young teenager heard Paul's preaching. He saw Paul raise this guy, this lame guy. He sees Paul come back, if you will, from the dead. And the young teenager's name was Timothy. Timothy. So Timothy's first interaction with Paul was there in Lystra. And somewhere between that first interaction and all that goes on in Acts 14, Timothy becomes a believer in the Messiah, in Jesus, that Paul has been teaching and preaching. We believe that Paul was actually the one that got to lead Timothy to Christ. Now, fast forward a few years. Timothy comes to Christ. Timothy stays there in Lystra. Paul leaves Lystra. He goes back through, goes back to Antioch, and then goes on a second missionary journey. Second missionary journey, guess where he goes back to? Lystra. And I imagine when Paul went in the town of Lystra, one of the first things he said was, Hey, where's Timothy? Remember that guy that God was so much at work in his life several years ago, and I got to lead to Christ. And where, Where is Timothy? You pick it up in Acts 16. I'm going to read Acts 16. This is now Paul coming back to Lystra, and it says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were there in Lystra and Iconium. Stop. Paul comes back. There's that disciple there, Timothy. And Paul is reunited with Timothy. Now, a little bit of background on Timothy really fast. 2 Corinthians says that Timothy learned the truth of Scripture from his mother and his grandmother. Seems to indicate that his dad was a Greek, and it seems to indicate either he was a believer and was dead, or that he was a non-believer. Either way, he's not on the scene. Has no indication that Timothy ever had that male figure in his life. But he had a mom and he had a grandmom, according to 2 Timothy, that invested the truth and the scripture into him. So let me be an encouragement. Timothy is an example that, number one, discipleship begins at home because he learned it at home. Then he heard the gospel from Paul and all that foundation that had been laid in his life. God used it and he became a believer. And let me be a strong encouragement to moms and to grandmoms. When maybe there is an absent dad, you are trying to invest and disciple the kids God has placed under your care. Timothy and all that God does in the life of this young man is the fruit of the work of God, the investment of Paul, and what's this? A godly, single mom and a loving grandmother. That's pretty awesome. So Paul shows up and he remembers Timothy and he picks back up in verse 3 of sixteen, Acts 16 we just read and he says, Paul wanted to take this man with him. 
So Paul knew he was continuing on his journey. He was going city by city. He was planting churches. And he said, this guy is so impressive to me. I see something in his life. I want Timothy to go with me. Now it gets a little serious in the rest of that verse. It says, and he took him and had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in those parts. Timothy, you want to go with me? I'm all in. You got to be circumcised. I don't know about that. But Timothy, <laughs> Timothy, I love it. Timothy, that circumcision thing makes us a little nervous. Anyway, Timothy was willing to do whatever it took for the furtherance of the gospel. Here's what you learn from Timothy. He was all in. <laughs> he was all in. So Paul says, I want this guy, I want this guy alongside of me. And that's what happened. Coming out of Acts 16, you walk through the rest of the book of Acts leading up to 1 Timothy. For about the next 20 years, a constant faithful companion of the Apostle Paul was Timothy. You open your Bible, and if you, turn, you don't have to turn there, but Philippians 1.1 says a letter from Paul and Timothy to the church at Philippi. Book of Colossians, a letter from Paul and Timothy to the church at Colossae. We know that he was his constant companion throughout the book of Acts. We know that he traveled with Paul back to Jerusalem to take the financial gift to the church there in Jerusalem. He was with Paul and Paul wrote Romans. He was Paul's emissary to go to the church at Corinth. Corinth was a mess. We looked at that several weeks ago. Paul couldn't make it there. He said, I've got to send Timothy to try to straighten that church out. It's a mess because he trusted him. We know that Paul or, or Timothy, because of walking with Paul, experienced great persecution and his choice to go alongside Paul cost him a great deal. He experienced persecution. He experienced beatings. Hebrews 13 says Timothy was imprisoned. And Hebrews 13 says we're hoping our brother Timothy soon gets out of prison. So it may sound glamorous to you, the idea of, oh man, I get to journey with the Apostle Paul. It came at great cost to young Timothy. Great cost. And here's what I love. So after 20 years of that, Paul is not with Timothy. Timothy is now pastoring a church in Ephesus. And Paul, after 20 years, pens a letter and says to Timothy, my true child in the faith. In other words, I've watched this dude for 20 years and he's the real thing. He is the real thing. Listen, if you've ever studied the life of Paul and you walk through the New Testament, you know Paul saw plenty of fakes. <laughs> Paul had plenty of Demases. Paul had plenty of Alexander the Coppersmiths, of guys who appeared to be one thing and turned out to be something else. For Paul to be able to say, 20 years in, Timothy is the real thing. Man, what a commendation of Timothy. So Timothy had earned Paul's trust. Timothy had been a companion of Paul. And now 20 years later, Paul is writing to his young son in the faith to give him some encouragement. So Timothy gets this letter, and that's our third question. Okay, why was the letter written? Paul writes it. He writes it to Timothy that he dearly, dearly loves. Okay, Paul, why are you writing the letter? Let me give you a couple reasons. Uh, you can flip over to 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. We'll get there in a few weeks, but... As you're reading it on your own, it's important that the Bible tells us why the letter was written very clearly. First uh, Timothy, it says Second Timothy, that's my mistake. It's actually First Timothy 3, 14 and 15. It says, and that from childhood you've known that, uh, that's the wrong verse, my bad. I'll just read it to you. 
1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 says, I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. Paul says, but in case I'm delayed, I write to you so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. So Paul first writes to Timothy, who's now pastoring this church in Ephesus with instructions for the greater church. Now, we know Paul had sent Timothy there to this church in Ephesus. Not a big church, not a mega church. For all we know, it was 30 people. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he sent Timothy there, and we know there were some issues. There were some significant issues with false teachers that had crept in. There were some men that had worked their way into the church, and they were teaching things contrary to the gospel. 1 Timothy 1.3 says... When I left for Macedonia, I urged you, Timothy, to stay there in Ephesus and to stop those who were teaching things contrary to the truth. Paul says, listen, Timothy, you're going to go to Ephesus, you're going to straighten it out, and you're going to have some confrontation on day one. Because there are some men who have embedded themselves into the life of that church that are teaching things that are absolute lies. Timothy, you've got to go take care of that. So Timothy deals with some of the false teaching. Evidently, there was some distortion of God's willingness or power or zeal to save men and women. He spends the whole second chapter talking about it is God who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He's reminding them of that. They had, they had drifted in their zeal for lost people. They had drifted. They'd become inward as a church, evidently. And Paul says, listen, I want men everywhere at every place to be lifting up holy hands, praying, praying for those who don't know Christ. Which is why we did what we did last week as a church. So there were some distorted teachings. There were some distorted teachers. There was chaotic worship that had become a mess. Paul's going to spend some time dealing with some unruly women in the church who were making a spectacle in public worship. He says in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.9, I want the women to be modest in their appearance. Evidently, he write that, writes that because they were not being. Evidently, the, the women and some of them who had just come out of paganism, they were new believers evidently, were coming to worship and they wanted it to be about all of them. So they were dressing in all this different stuff so everybody's eyes would be on them. Paul says, hang on, man. Anything that becomes a distraction from the Lord Jesus Christ, male or female, hold on. Timothy, go, go deal with that. Timothy's like, are you kidding? Timothy. Church at Ephesus lacked qualified leaders. He's going to spend chapter 3 talking about the qualifications of elders and leaders and deacons. He spends chapter 6 talking about their struggle with materialism. Evidently, they were a wealthy church, but they were very materialistic and on and on and on. So Paul writes, so that the church would be healthy. But then secondly, Paul writes out of great concern for Timothy in particular. Because here's what Paul knows. Timothy, I have sent you into the lion's den, man. I mean, I've dispatched you to Ephesus, and the first thing I told you is you've got to go deal with some guys who are teaching false doctrine. And then you've got to deal with some unruly women. God help you, Timothy. And then you've got to deal with all these issues going on in the church. Listen, where people gather, there's mess. There's mess. So Paul writes this letter to strengthen and encourage Timothy. 1 Timothy 4, 11 and 12, he says, Timothy, prescribe and teach these things. Verse 12, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Evidently, some were looking at Timothy with scorn because he was still very young. But rather in your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity, Timothy, you be the example to the church. You be the example of those who believe. 
Verse 14, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. Why, Paul, why does Paul write that? Because Timothy, as godly as he was, Timothy had weaknesses. Timothy struggled with fear. Timothy struggled with being timid. Timothy struggled with backing off and often retreating in a sense. And Paul says, Timothy, don't neglect the spiritual gift God has placed in you for the good of the church. In, in other places, twice in this letter, Paul's going to say, fight the good fight of faith. The word fight means endure. The word fight means hang in there. And you can just see Paul caring so much for this young man, knowing the, the challenges he's facing in that church and the mess is there. He says, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith, man. Timothy, endure. Hang in there. We'll look at that when we get there in a few weeks. So Paul writes in great concern for the church. He writes in, with great concern for Timothy personally. And then the last question, and we'll close and we'll be finished, is this. All right, why does it matter? So what are we here 2,000 years later to take from this letter? Well, there's a ton, but I'm just going to show you two things very quick this morning. We'll be finished. One is that the book of 1 Timothy, the letter that we're going to invest in over the next few weeks, is this. Paul and Timothy provide a vivid picture of discipleship for us. You heard it up here at our elders' roundtable. You probably hear it about every week you're here. You're going to hear, you know, churches have culture. Churches have language that we use a lot. We say something like this. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And I think some of us hear that from time to time. We kind of scratch our head and we go, what in the world does that even mean? What does that look like? So here in 1 Timothy, we have a vivid living picture of what it means to be a disciple. Paul was a growing, thriving disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul invested his life into the life of someone else to produce another disciple who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples. And we get to watch it happen. What does it look like? 2 Timothy, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. 2 Timothy 3, Paul says this uh, to Timothy. He says, now Timothy, this is years later after Paul's been investing in him. He says, now Timothy, you followed my teaching. It involves holding out the word of God. You followed my conduct. It means spending enough time together where Timothy was able to watch the life of Paul. You followed my purpose. Timothy knew the heart of Paul. He knew what was important. You watch my faith. Timothy was able to watch Paul when he was persecuted and shipwrecked and left for dead and watch a man get up from a place of death and go right back into his city and realize, wait a minute, that dude trusts God. Timothy watched that. Paul said, you followed my patience, my love, my perseverance. And oh, by the way, you followed my persecutions. Discipleship is not always easy and often it's costly. He said, you followed me all the way to the point that it cost you something, Timothy. You followed my suffering, such as happened to me at Antioch, and Iconium, and Lystra. And the verse continues on. Here's the point. I am very excited for us to get to watch a vivid picture of what it means to say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to invest my life into the lives of others that they'll be followers of Jesus Christ. We get to watch it. Because for each of you who says, I am a disciple, I am a follower of Christ, 
there, I pray for me and for us, there is a constant, almost like radar in our minds that says, hey, where's my Timothy? Or if you're a female, let's change it a little bit. Where's my Tabitha or something? Something just for tea, get it? Where's my Timothy? And where, where's the people God's bringing in my life that either don't know Christ and I get to lead them to Christ and then invest in them. Man, I'm writing their names down. For all we know, Paul had a card with names on it and at the top of his list was Timothy. And Paul prayed for Timothy and Paul got to lead Timothy to Christ and then Paul got to invest his life in Timothy and here we are talking about it 2,000 years later. I want that for me and I want that for you. Who's your Timothy? Who are those you're investing in with your life and your teaching and your faith and they get to watch your life? Not a perfect life, but a life that is Scripture lived out. Who's your Timothy? So we get to see here Paul and Timothy provide a vivid picture of discipleship. And then secondly, the other reason this matters to us very quickly is this. First Timothy demonstrates the priority of the local church Paul says and we read it earlier he says I'm writing these things to you and hoping to come to you soon but in case I'm delayed I'm writing to you so that you'll know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God and then he's going to define it which is the church of the living God the living God the pillar and support of the truth Paul why'd you say it like that why did you call the church the household of God, then why did you call it the pillar of truth? Then why did you call it the, the, the church of the living God? Why did you say it like that, Paul? Well, let me just use a little bit of sanctified imagination here and remind you of something. Paul's writing to a band of believers that may have been as small as 40, 50 people. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But they were a band of believers that were worshiping in the city of Ephesus, a metropolis city. A massive, pagan, wicked city. They didn't have Lifeway Christian bookstores in Ephesus. And the government was not wrestling with religious freedom and what it means to have religious freedom. The idea that you were a Christian in Ephesus might cost you your life. And Paul writes to this little band of believers and says, You, you are the household of God. You are the pillar and support of the truth. You are the church of the living God. In the middle of thousands and thousands of people who reject you and reject your message and think you're insane. But here's what Paul says. You are the source of truth in a very dark place. And he probably had in mind a massive structure that was in the middle of the city of Ephesus. Go ahead and put that up on the screen really quick. In the middle of the city of Ephesus, this is an artist's rendering, was the temple of Diana, false god, Greek system. Thousands and thousands and thousands of worshipers every day. It was this prominent, beautiful Ephesus. It had pillars that went all the way around it. If you mention that thing to anybody in Ephesus, they say, oh yeah, we know all about the Temple of Diana. We know all that. It was this massive Ephesus. And everybody thought that was the place of truth. And Paul says, oh, time out. 
to this little band of maybe 50, 60, 70 believers. You don't have a temple like that. That temple is not even to the true living God. And he says, hey, you are the household of God. And you are the pillar of the truth. And oh, by the way, you're the only one holding out truth. You're it. In a wicked, pagan culture that wanted nothing to do with your message and wanted nothing to do with your God. And Paul writes them and says, fight the good fight. Does that sound familiar? Because that's exactly where you and I are today in 2016. We're in a dark culture that really wants nothing to do with our Jesus or nothing to do with our message. And we need the encouragement from the living word of God that says Jesus is our hope. <laughs> we are serving a living God. And fight the good fight of faith because he is bow your heads for just a few minutes this morning and we'll close we're going to sing together in just a second a song of praise and glory to our great God just have a moment of response right there in your seat before the Lord I don't know how God's used his word this morning in your heart or in your life you may be here this morning and let me just be really clear with your heads bowed for a second you may you may hear this about Timothy and realize wait a minute I'm not even a genuine child of God transformed born again faith in Christ I don't even know what that means what is the message of the gospel is this that you are separated from God because of your sin I was separated from God because of my sin Jesus Christ the perfect sinless sacrifice took your sin and mine upon himself he died on a cross for the sins of the world he rose from the dead to make us right with God he lives today and offers to you forgiveness transformation life the living God. Will you believe in Him today? Would you right there in your seat place faith, belief, not just as a piece, not just as a fact, as life. Jesus, I need you. I give my life to you. My future, my past, my sin, my hope is in you. You may be here this morning and this whole thing about looking for your Timothy has just stirred your heart. God, give us the grace to be a disciple-making, disciple-making church. Yes, with the platforms of groups and things like that, but one-on-one. -on -one. Where are your Timothys? Maybe this morning you felt the pressure of the culture that you live in, and you feel like a stranger and an alien, and you need to hear, fight the good fight. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for the truth of your word and how it strengthens and encourages our heart this morning. For Jesus' sake, we pray together.